Good afternoon. It's Friday the 18th of March 2022, a few minutes after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. I'm your host, Mike Robinson. Joining me in the studio today, Patrick Henningsen from 21st Century Wire. Welcome to the programme, Patrick. Great to be with you, Mike. Uh, and we're going to get straight on with uh, the online safety bill, which was uh, um, laid before Parliament yesterday. Um, so let's get this on screen. Uh, and uh, let's have a look at briefly what it is that they are claiming. Uh, this is the government, of course, claiming that it is going to do. Uh, it is going to prevent more forms of fraud, so everybody should be happy about that. Uh, it's going to create tougher criminal sanctions for tech bosses. We'll come on to that a little later. That is, uh, well, you will see how, how bad that is in a second. It's going to create world-leading measures to protect children. And, of course, this is the uh, main uh, justification for everything that's going on at the moment. It's the main focus in the mainstream press at the, uh, today, uh, world-leading measures to protect children. So let's just have a brief listen to Nadine Dorries and see what she was saying about this. We have to put legislation in place which those platforms have to abide by to protect our children, mm. to make the UK the safest place in the world for our children to go online. We don't want pornographic images popping up on our children's phones or our screens unasked for and unbidden. Okay. We don't want our children taking their own lives because the algorithms know who they are, they know they're at home on their own on a Friday night, and direct them into some very bad places. Well, as you said, we want that stop now. Now, of course, anybody reasonable would agree with everything that she just said there, but of course, that's only part of the picture. Uh, and it's a very small part of the picture, as we're about to see. Um, and then, but uh, the government is claiming this. This is their last claim that they were pushing out on the number 10 uh, YouTube channel, uh, sorry, uh, Twitter channel today. Uh, stronger measures to safeguard free speech online. So stronger measures to safeguard, that should make you feel perfectly safe, Patrick. My Orwellian doublespeak alarm has been tripped, Mike. Well, let's just have a look and see what this actually means. Um, so online safety bill, duty of care, the largest and most popular social media sites, which are described as category one services. And by the way, this term category one services is not defined in the bill. Uh, it's going to be left up to Ofcom to define that. We will uh, explain that a little bit later. Uh, but the largest and most popular social media sites will need to act on content which is lawful but still harmful, such as mis or disinformation. Lawful but still harmful. Uh, we'll come on to that in a That's little That's a big grey area right there. Well, you're about to see how big a grey area it is, okay? Freedom of expression. The bill will ensure that people in the UK can express themselves freely online and participate in pluralistic and robust debate. Well, let's let's examine that slightly. So let's look at this issue of legal but harmful content. Under the bill, uh, category one companies, the largest online platforms with the widest reach, uh, including the most popular social media platforms, must address content harmful to adults that falls below the threshold of a criminal uh, offence. Now that was uh, what they said for the draft bill. What is it? What is? What are they saying about the final bill that is now laid before Parliament? Uh, well, first of all, the agreed categories of legal but harmful content will be set out in secondary legislation and subject to approval by both Houses of Parliament. Well, so what does that mean? That means that it's not in the bill that's being debated in Parliament. Uh, members of the House of Commons and the House of Lords don't get to debate what is legal but harmful content and what categories are going to be covered by the bill. That will be laid as a statutory instrument after the bill is passed and we all know that statutory instruments tend to get laid at times when there's nobody in the Houses of Parliament. And so there actually will be no scrutiny of these categories of legal but harmful content by the Houses. They may be approved because it's given a rubber stamp exercise, 
but there'll be no proper scrutiny of this because they're not defining this as part of the bill itself. And that right there on screen is the most important part, arguably, of this whole bill, of this whole exercise, because that will determine uh, how much uh, leeway the government has to interpret what is, quote, misinformation, disinformation, what is, quote, harmful, completely subjective, and that will be what? Determined by a statutory instrument. Yes. So just hold on, Patrick, before you make that statement. Of, uh, and, and let's see whether you still have that opinion by the time we get to the end of this segment. So you can tell us by the time whether, whether you still agree with, with what you just said. Um, social media platforms will only be required to act on the priority legal harms set out in that secondary legislation, meaning decisions on what types of content are, har are harmful are not delegated to private companies or at the whim of internet executives. And this is what they say uh, creates this situation where they are upholding freedom of expression and ensure that people remain able to have challenging and controversial discussions online, but only if they're controversial subjects that the government approves of. That's, it's only the right kind of controversy that's going to be allowed here, okay? And, and not only that, Mike, what's happening now with censorship, when an event comes into the public uh, domain, when it becomes the major point of attention, like COVID, like vaccines, like Ukraine, all of a sudden tech changes their policies quickly to adapt to whatever the political situation is of the moment. Uh, but but what's, what this does is this allows second, new secondary legislation to be passed. So you remember during the COVID uh, exercise, we had the Coronavirus Act, which everybody said was the most draconian piece of legislation ever passed. But it, it, it was also an enabling act because there were subsequent regulations came out through secondary legislation over the, next, over the period of two years. This does exactly the same thing. So, so they may place statutory instruments down which say that this category of, uh, of information is considered misinformation. And then as the political uh, landscape changes or the war landscape changes, new categories get added through further secondary legislation. It just, it never ends. It'll be a day-to-day -day exercise. So they're going to have to open another agency of government, right, to basically modulate this in real time. Is that not the Ministry of Truth? We're going to come on to that. Just hold hold that thought. Um, so, but, that, but don't worry, your freedom of expression is uh, protected. Now, remember, democratic content, there is this new and specific duty on Category one services to protect content defined as democratically important. Uh, again, who defines this? It's not in the legislation at the minute. Uh, so th this is completely open to interpretation in the future through secondary legislation again. Well, with the new defense documents that we've been constantly reminding people, Mike, about those uh, doctrines that are coming in, anything that undermines the democratic institutions is considered a threat by the military in the information warfare right. landscape. So how does that get interpreted with this? Uh, and But well, yes, but also this uh, is intended to include, for example, elections. Or criticism of government, criticism of election methods or uh, voter fraud or things like this. For example. Uh, so this is really opening the uh, door here for a lot of covering up. Yes, it is a complete Pandora's box. So let's, what about journalistic content? Articles by recognized news publishers shared on InScope services will be exempted and Category 1 companies will now have a statutory duty to safeguard UK users' access to journalistic content shared on their platform. So what does the legislation says about what a recognized news publisher is? Well, the first recognized news publisher specifically stated in the legislation 
is the British Broadcasting Corporation. They get special status uh, within the legislation because they are the first recognized new publisher, news publisher already agreed upon. Uh, and then there is a set of, of uh, definitions of, or, or goals that, that people that might be perceived as a news publisher have to meet in order to uh, qualify as a recognized news publisher. Now, if you are a recognized news publisher, that means that your content will not be subject to the takedown uh, requirements of, of, the, uh, of the, the social media companies. And in fact, they will have a duty to maintain your ability to post your content, whether it's real or fake, uh, on those platforms. So it'll protect you from government uh, censorship, right? If, if you achieve that special badge. That, that is correct. That is correct. But what do you need to do in order to achieve that special badge? You basically have to be regulated by one of the Levison regulators, right? So you have to agree to be regulated by, um, if, you're a, a, if you're a print organization, for example, or a multimedia organization that isn't mainly broadcast, you've got to be, you, you effectively have to be regulated by uh, one of the Levison uh, regulators um, and, uh, and also by Ofcom. Uh, but look, let's put this back on screen for a second, if we could, because consider this journalistic content, recognized news publishers. Well, we already see where Ofcom is going with this because just yesterday, Patrick, uh, Ofcom revoked RT's broadcast license. Um, and here is their notification of it. Let's just see what uh, Dame uh, Melanie Davies uh, had, uh, Dawes, sorry, had to say about this. Uh, freedom of expression is something we guard fiercely in this country, and the bar for action on broadcasters is rightly set very high. Uh, following an independent regulatory process, we have today found that RT is not fit and proper to hold a license in the UK. As a result, we've revoked RT's UK broadcasting license. Now, we all know that RT uh, has been effectively banned from uh, broadcasting in the UK already, but this and, effectively means... And it's means, YouTube as well. It's yes, been pulled off YouTube. that's right. But this effectively means there's no way back for RT at all. Um, and what's uh, really despicable, despicable about this, Patrick, is that um, the investigations that uh, Ofcom announced that they were running on RT haven't been completed yet. <laughs> so when she says uh, following an independent regulatory process, it's not following because it, it isn't finished. Right. So this is a political decision, 100%. So they don't have to show any actual violations or proof of, quote, fake news or anything like this. They might not find any. They've already made the decision. Is that, what, is that that's, what's happened? That's what's happened. So, so they've already made the decision. And if this is the standard by which we're going to see Ofcom regulate the internet in the future, then this is a great example of where we're actually at. So let's move on then. Uh, more about journalistic content. This means they will have to consider the importance of journalism when undertaking content moderation, have a fast track appeals process, and will be held to account by Ofcom. Citizen journalist content will have the same protections as professional journalist content. Oh, will it? Actually not, because we, that's, that contradicts what we've already described. Yeah, they don't get the badge. So, oh. but, ah, ah, the, citizen, ah but, the citizens don't get the protection. No, no, badge. no, it depends what kind of citizen journalist you are, oh, Patrick. If you, this, this clause, this is all about uh, Bellingcat and their like. Okay. Right. The state. open source, state, state funded, state backed, or NGO funded, right, right, stakeholder, uh, stakeholder media outlets, right. right. Yes. Right. Okay. So let's uh, move on then. Of course, the regulator is going to be Ofcom, and they are hugely excited about this. Uh, here is uh, Dame Melanie Dawes again. Today marks this yesterday marks an important step towards creating a safer online, uh, safer life online for the UK's children and adults who are considered to be children anyway. Uh, our research shows that the, the need for rules that protect users from serious harm 
but which also recognize the great things about being online and protect freedom of expression. We're looking forward to starting the job. So let's just see what kind of job they're going to be doing. First of all, they are now required to implement what's being described as proactive technology. Platforms may need to use tools for content moderation, user profiling, and behavior identification to protect their users. Just think about that. You think about the level of surveillance that there already is in this country. This is being taken to a whole new level. You, as an individual internet user, will be profiled. Your behavior identification will be done on you. And whether the platforms, therefore, decide to moderate you as an individual will be based on the profile that they build of you. But it's to protect you, Mike. As an adult, you need protection, according to the state. Adults need protection like children need protection, right? Clearly. Because there's so much dangerous information on the internet. It gets better, Patrick. Additional provisions have been added to the bill to allow Ofcom to set expectations for the use of these proactive technologies in codes of practice and force companies to use better and more effective tools should this be necessary. Now, we're going to come on to the criminal aspect of this in a second, but, but Ofcom is effectively taking control of how social media companies um, run these so-called proactive technologies, which are designed to make sure that the content never gets on the platform in the first place, right? So it isn't a case of something gets posted, uh, it's there for a while until somebody makes a complaint about it, and then it's taken down. And at least in the meantime, some people have seen it. No, this is to make sure that it never, uh, but this is all about protecting free speech. Mm -hmm. yep. Well, they're already doing it already. Uh, people are getting uh, their accounts suspended uh, for posting things that are on, on a re regularly that aren't uh, offensive or illegal or even against so-called community guidelines. It's all being done in an automated fashion. Yes, but this is going to take it to a new level. So, for example, Twitter uh, getting ahead of the curve here, uh, safety mode. So you'll be able to implement safety mode on your Twitter account if somebody is, uh, if, if somebody's, uh, Posts that you don't like are appearing uh, in uh, on your timeline. It used to be you had to manually go and block that person. Now they'll be auto auto blocked, automatically blocked, and that auto block uh, will sit there for seven days. Um, and uh, you can, of course, unblock them at any point. But who's going to do that? So this is going to have a chilling effect on the distribution of content because, in a lot of cases, you know, I or you as a as a Twitter user won't even know that somebody else's posts have been auto-blocked. So unless we're actively looking at that block list to see who's been added to it automatically, uh, we simply just won't see content from, you know, an individual that we might otherwise actually want to see content from because it's up to Twitter to decide under what circumstances those people are auto-blocked. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's, uh, let's move on to the criminal liability aspect of this then. <clears throat> so here we go. The bill gives Ofcom powers to demand information and data from tech companies, including on the role of their algorithms in selecting and displaying content so that Ofcom can, access, can assess how they're shielding users from harm. So uh, the tech companies will be required to tell Ofcom how the algorithms are working, and Ofcom gets the opportunity to decide whether that is adequate or not and require the uh, tech companies to put adequate algorithms in place if it's not satisfactory. Ofcom will be able to enter companies' premises to access data and equipment, request interviews with company employees, and require companies to undergo an external assessment how of, of how they're keeping users safe. So when Ofcom comes knocking to the door, 
There's nothing you can do about it. You have to open your doors. You have to give them access to your IT systems. You've got to have, give them access to your databases. This is a this is a, a an intelligence agency wet dream because you get uh, access, you know, effectively to the to the backend database of of the social media companies. Yeah. It's incredible. Requesting interviews with employees. This is all about uh, making sure that they can prosecute senior managers, individuals. You know, this is not like. Uh, some kind of uh, corporate prosecution that we've seen in the past where, you know, individual manager who may have contributed to something uh, isn't personally liable for for the, the criminal act or the perceived criminal act. Uh, it's the company that ends up being sanctioned in some way. This is uh, sanctioning individuals at senior level within the tech companies. Patrick, what kind of effect is that going to have on freedom of speech on tech on on uh, uh, social media websites? It might not even just be senior level. It could be mid management. Who knows? It could be uh, technical people uh, in the company. Well, they're specifically talking about senior managers. So, well, that, so... Gi that gives it teeth. That, right. That gives it teeth because then they're going to want to automate an algorithm, everything, and just basically scrub as much speech as possible outside of cat photos and photographing your dinner. Uh, when you go out for a meal uh, on these social media platforms, um, everything else, any political speech will be expunged. This is Stalinist to, to, to the nth degree. There's, there's no other way to describe it. Right. So let's have a look. They're creating a whole swathe of new offenses. So offenses for companies in scope and or employees who suppress, destroy or alter information requested by Ofcom. There'll be offenses for failing to comply with, obstructing, or delaying Ofcom when exercising its powers of entry, audit, and inspection, or providing false information. There'll be offenses for employees who fail to attend or provide false information at an interview. And uh, anybody falling foul of these offenses, uh, that could lead up to two years imprisonment or a fine. And it's totally subjective and up to them uh, whether you're misleading them or whatever. This is outside of the court, right? This is extrajudiciary, isn't it? Patrick, this is spectacular because, you know, we've talked about the number of enabling acts that there have been uh, put in place over the last two years, which enabled a, uh, a minister of state or a secretary of state to create secondary legislation, uh, uh, which re uh, imposed regulations on people for this, that or the other thing. Now, at least there's some semblance of demo democratic accountability for that because the secondary legislation, people can still campaign to their MPs. They can still... They can defend themselves or defend what rights they believe they have. What has happened here is that this legislation is enabling Ofcom to act as an unbelievably powerful dictator with respect to what is said and done on the internet. It is, it, it is unbelievably dangerous. Because the actions that they're saying there, that even if you're, if you're, if you're found to be guilty of erasing information or data requested by Ofcom. In other words, if you delete something from a hard drive, then all of a sudden you're, it's a criminal offense. This, this doesn't even fall within the rule of law. It's almost a law unto itself within the Ofcom world, right? That's it, that's it, that's it. Now, and the problem is that this, of course, is being dressed up around this whole idea of child safety and making sure that children can't, underage children can't access pornography uh, on the internet and so on. And of course, who's got to, who's got to object to that? Uh, and in the meantime, the mainstream press saying virtually nothing about this aspect of the legislation. Uh, well, this is going through as well if this isn't stopped. So, uh, look, if, if I, I want to say this is this is a power grab. Yes, this, this is an effort by the state to uh, reestablish the dominance of the legacy media and the government's control of it. That's exactly what this is. Uh, you can dress it up any way you want. 
but the target here is absolutely political speech and any sort of dissent. We've already seen big tech fold when pressed a little bit by government. When, if they press like this, it's over. It's over. In right. terms of free speech. Right. This, this legislation has to be opposed, in my opinion. Uh, and uh, really, I think that there, in terms of domestic uh, politics, there's nothing else uh, more important than this. This because if 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 people if there's opposition is not like and bearing in mind the amount of criticism that Vladimir Putin is getting at the moment for for shutting down opposition voices in Russia, um, <laughs> this is incredible. And uh, well, where does it leave uh, anybody uh, if that is? It, attempting to offer some kind of alternative narrative to what the, the, the British government is pushing out? Well, during a war, it's one thing. Uh, if it's an existential, if you believe the government believes they're existentially under military threat, Abraham Lincoln closed no less than 50 print publications during the Civil War in the North uh, because he believed, his White House believed, they were undermining the war effort, okay? And Abraham Lincoln has a memorial right in the middle of Washington, D.C. as the most revered president, arguably, uh, in U.S. history. So that's what he did uh, during a time of war. What I'm saying is we're allowed to have these discussions and debates. We should be allowed to compare between information so that the educated user, the educated viewer, can decide and compare what is true and what's not. It is not up to the government or big tech to decide what you can see and you can't see that's a very, very dangerous situation. Um, so look, uh, we are here in 2022 following several years of uh, development of this. So if you want to see how we got to this point, uh, if you head over to the UK Column website and have a look at the uh, uh, censored section of the site, um, and uh, if you just go to the front page, you scroll down about halfway down the page, you'll see that this um, graphic on the screen, click on it and you'll get taken to a timeline. Uh, which basically begins uh, with David Cameron speaking to the UN General Assembly, but really it got started in 2017 when the uh, tech companies were invited into number 10 uh, to speak to Theresa May and uh, Amber Rudd. Uh, they knew pretty much at that time that the writing was on the wall uh, and what direction, this, the direction of travel for this. And we have seen since about that time how People have been deplatformed, how search results uh, get uh, mangled by Google and so on, and now DuckDuckGo as well, uh, if, if uh, the content isn't approved. Um, and this and the, is going and to take the government has been cheering for this every step of the way. Uh, well, they've been demanding it. They have been demanding it. So, uh, so their values in, in, in government, are, I, I, be I believe in general, are quite different than what the people's values are. Uh, on this particular issue. Yes, that's absolutely right. So uh, we should leave it to George Orwell then uh, to have a final word on this segment. Sure, this is, I believe, one of Bob Moran's specials here. Uh, so just leave that thought in your head uh, yes. as we go forward on this. Yes, okay. Now, if you like what the UK Column does and you would like to support us, then please head over to community.ukcolumn.org. Um, this is going to have an impact on us. Uh, there is no question. So we do need your help. And if you possibly can, that would be very much appreciated. Uh, do share our material on the platforms while we still can. Um, and uh, Or if you would like to support us uh, via the shop, it's uh, shop.ukcolumn.org. Um, now, I'd just like to uh, mention uh, the uh, Freedom Rallies taking place uh, tomorrow once again. Uh, the Truro event has been cancelled uh, now. Uh, but uh, there are events. In fact, that list isn't quite uh, uh, full. So London, Sheffield, Manchester, Totnes, Bristol, Chelmsford, uh, Norwich, Birmingham, 
Oxford, Hull, Liverpool, Blackburn, Leeds, and then Edinburgh are the main events uh, taking pl place on the uh, in the UK tomorrow. Yeah, full a full range of cities there, so that should be a good event. Yes. Now let's move on to uh, Ukraine. Then we'll just briefly start with uh, this. Uh, Pretty Patel uh, tweeting out: I've just met allies uh, in a new international task force. Uh, on sanctions enforcement uh, to, of those linked to Putin. So uh, what are they saying? Uh, we, the undersigned, finance, justice, home affairs and trade ministers and European commissioners jointly commit to prioritizing our resources and working together to make all available legal steps to find, restrain, freeze, seize and where appropriate confiscate or forfeit the assets of those individuals and entities that have been sanctioned in connection with Russia's premeditated, unjust and unprovoked invasion of Ukraine in the, and the continuing aggression of the Russian regime. So it goes on a little bit. You can uh, guess what it says. Uh, it's headed up by the Honorable Janet Yellen, Secretary of the Treasury, United States, uh, the Honorable Merrick B. Garland, Attorney General, United States, uh, and so on. Who else is in here? We've got uh, Bruno Le Maire, who's the Minister of Economy, Finance and Recovery in France, uh, the Minister of Justice in France, uh, the Federal Minister of Finance in Germany, uh, the Federal Minister for Economic Affairs and Climate Action in Germany. Uh, we've got uh, Italians and we've got, uh, well, the wonderful uh, Rishi Sunak and Priti Patel from the UK, but also Japan in there uh, and the European Union. So uh, they are claiming to be determined. What, what, what is the legal uh, category for linked to Putin? I mean, is that is that a definable, is, 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 is there anything in the jurisprudence jurisprudence dictionary to uh, define linked to? I'm not uh, quite aware of anything. No. So it, it could just as well be anybody who's Russian, who's got some money, right? Yeah, it's whoever they decide. That's it. Yeah. The yeah. problem with that, that, again, that falls outside of the rule of law uh, as well, you know, in confiscating people's properties. I'm not, this, this I'm not defending... This is what based international order means, isn't <laughs> We're it? not defending oligarchs here, per se, or billionaires, as they should be called, or millionaires, not oligarchs. We don't call our skions oligarchs, do we? Jeff Bezos has uh, Perhaps we should, though. a net worth worth more than most GDPs of a lot of countries on the planet, okay? Um, so, you know, we, we're not protecting oligarchs, but what we're saying is if they can take a billionaire's property and seize it just because they think on a whim that somehow he's linked to Putin, they were photographed 20 years ago together, uh, what's to stop the government from seizing your property over something even more spurious than that? And that's the point. Uh, there has to be a rule of law on this issue. And that's what we're not seeing talked about by our political leaders. And it's definitely not up for conversation in the mainstream media. Indeed. Everyone's caught up in the complete uh, hysteria of the moment. Uh, yes. Now, last week we had an absolutely wonderful, wonderful piece of video uh, Nancy Pelosi explaining what was going on in the world. Um, are we going to do better this week? Well, uh, if you haven't seen yet, uh, the president of Ukraine, uh, Vladimir Zelensky, with two Y's on the Zelensky, but every, there's about four different spellings for his name. He's got more spellings for his name than Muammar Gaddafi uh, had. So uh, he uh, addressed the United States Congress yesterday, or the day before, I can't remember which day it was, but uh, uh, to great fanfare, a full house. Uh, they all came out and on the big screen, there he was, president of Ukraine. Let's look at some highlights of this and we'll comment on it. 
he invokes Martin Luther King, and we have another uh, uh, thing to show you after that. But uh, and Nancy Pelosi is really in the Ukrainian spirit here. Right. She's really taken this whole identity on of uh, Ukraine. So let's uh, take a look at this. Mr. President, it is my honor to present to you the Congress of the United States, which has great respect and admiration and appreciation for your courageous leadership. Members of Congress, I have the high privilege and distinct honor of presenting to you the President of Ukraine, Vladimir Zelensky. Slava Ukraina! Slava Ukraina! <laughs> My colleagues, Slava Ukraina! Slava Ukraina! People, I have a dream. These words are known to each of you today. I can say, I have a need. I need to protect uh, our sky. I need your decision, your help, which means exactly the same, the same you feel when you hear the words, I have a dream. Ladies and gentlemen, friends, Ukraine is grateful to the United States for its overwhelming support for everything that your government and your people have done for us, for weapons and ammunition, for training, for finances, for leadership in the free world, which helps. to sum it up. Today, by your neighbor, today, the Ukrainian people are defending not only Ukraine, we are fighting for the values of Europe and the world, sacrificing our lives in the name of the future. That's why today, the American people are helping not just Ukraine, but Europe and the world to keep the planet alive. And this is my main mission as the leader of my people, great Ukrainians. And as the leader of my nation, I'm addressing the President Biden. You are the leader of the nation, of your great nation. I wish you to be the leader of the world being the leader of the world means to be the leader of peace. Thank you. Slava Ukraine. Glory to Ukraine. Slava Ukraina. Uh, Nancy Pelosi's really into it. So I don't know where to start with that, Mike, but invoking Martin Luther King, I have a dream mm. to uh, the United States of America. Uh, in the same breath, he's asking for weapons. I thought MLK uh, was in the spirit of Mahatma Gandhi, uh, and he was a pacifist. But hey, uh, who who cares about those sort of details? So he went begging for a no-fly zone. Now, a no-fly zone, I know to some liberals uh, in America might think that that sounds like really good. Let's do a no-fly zone. Um, that means uh, you're going to come into direct uh, combat 
uh, with uh, Russia in this case. Mm. Uh, and if even if you didn't, that means it's going to also turn into potentially a no bombing zone or so a bombing zone, as we saw in Libya. Right. Uh, they might even extend that no fly zone uh, to more than just Ukraine. Mm. Uh, so, and did you notice on Zelensky's T-shirt, Mike? Uh, on the the left breast, the the Iron Cross. Well, yes. So uh, the, the 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 icon for the Ukrainian army. It, it is well, very similar, they, isn't it? That's what they claim uh, that it's the icon for the Ukrainian army. But nonetheless, it's the same as the Iron Cross uh, from Nazi Germany. That's like having a swastika and saying, "Well, it's our swastika," uh, and that's what they're saying is that we oh we have a swastika, but it's not the same as the Nazi uh, swastika. So they're invoking. He's doing it blatantly. Uh, right there in front of the world, and it's quite amazing that no one's commented on that uh, in the mainstream press. Um, but and also he's invoking the world. So this isn't just about Ukraine. This is the world, and Biden needs to be the leader of the world. And they're fighting for European values and for the free freedom of the world. Uh, so the platitudes, Mike, are just incredible. Now, did you see that heart? tug video that they played in the middle. Right. That was played in the middle of it. You notice the scenes, the children, a few missiles being launched and hit and whatnot. Um, and that was meant to sort of capture the emotion of the moment for the people watching. But um, the one, one of the scenes in there, let's take a look. Um, one of those scenes is this, and this is the notorious Kiev apartment block missile uh, in the first week of the conflict. And uh, there it is right there. Let's just take a look at this. Take a look. That's a contrail. Now, numerous weapons experts have testified already to say that can't be uh, a Russian cruise missile or anything like this or artillery. That's a book missile. And the only people who had books in this area are the Ukrainian military. So the explanation is that was a misfire of a Ukrainian military anti-aircraft book, book missile. Uh, and so, but this is being used in the highlight reel of Russia attacking yes. civilians because it furthers that narrative. So here you have the president of Ukraine who's potentially putting out fake news to the world in this historic speech. And so there's no accountability whatsoever, uh, not, uh, not that I can see within the speech or the highlight reel. So it, it, it brings a lot of questions up, uh, really. So we have another uh, clip from this. Now, he also invokes in 9-11 in and Pearl Harbor uh, to the American audience. Let's watch this. Americans, in your personal history, you have stories that allow you to understand Ukrainians, understand us now, when it is Pearl Harbor. Страшний, трагічний ранок 7 грудня 41-го року, коли ваше небо було чорним від атакуючих вас літаків. Згадайте, згадайте це. Згадайте 11 вересня. Страшний день 2001 року, коли зло намагалося перетворити ваші незалежні території, ваші міста у поле битви, коли були атаковані люди, звичайні, невинні люди. So, he's, you know, to, 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 a West, to a U.S. audience, remember Pearl Harbor, uh, remember 9-11. I think the only thing missing there, he should be saying, remember the Alamo. But anyway, he's going to talk to all of these different 
um, governments, Mike. Uh, he was in front of the British yes. House of Commons, and what was he Got doing? Got a standing, uh, standing ovation. Do whole... Doing a pastiche of Winston Churchill's yes. famous World War II speech. So I'm like, who's writing these speeches? He spoke to the Canadian Parliament. I didn't listen to that, but I can't imagine. He, he's probably saying, uh, uh, we need help with uh, the Russian truckers like you sorted out those Canadian truckers, uh, Prem Premier Trudeau. Help us, help us, kind of thing. Mm. So, I mean, where does it end? Does he go in front of the French Parliament and start shouting, liberté, uh, fraternité, égalité? I mean, where does it end? The, pl the platitudes are completely worn out by now. I don't know where you go from this. Mm. Uh, basically cherry picking all of these sort of iconic moments from each country while you're asking for weapons. It worked, he got the weapons from the United States. I think he secured uh, about a billion, uh, billion dollars worth of uh, weapons in that one uh, and another 14 billion in uh, some kind of financial aid. I don't know if that's uh, money you pay back later or not from the US but in the last 10 days in total, about 17 billion. Okay, so there seems to be a, a, an open spigot for cash uh, for Ukraine right now. Yes. Which I think is incredible considering uh, the uh, hyperinflation and the spending deficits right now. It's just incredible. So the, the, the West seemed to be determined to fight Russia down to the last Ukrainian. Think about that. Not fighting themselves. No but they, they're hoping the Ukraine will somehow magically win if they just pump enough weapons. So Nancy Pelosi wasn't done, Mike. Um, she, uh, she got a phone call from uh, a good friend of hers. Mind you, it was St. Patrick's Day it yesterday. It wasn't, yes. It wasn't. Let's listen to this. This is so inspirational. Let's, uh, let's hear this, this beautiful poem. I got this message this morning from Bono. And, and most of us, we're always, whether we're in Ireland or here, whatever it is, Ivano has been a very Irish part of our lives. And he said this. He said, Oh, St. Patrick, he drove out the snakes with his prayers, but that's not all it, that's not all it takes. For the smoke symbolizes an evil that arises and hides in your heart as it breaks. And the evil from, risen from friends, from the darkness that lives in some men, but in sorrow and fear, that's when saints can appear to drive out those old snakes once again. And they struggle for us to be free from the psycho in this human family. Ireland's sorrow and pain is now the Ukraine, and St. Patrick's name is now Zelensky. <laughs> so that's it. Zelensky's been canonized yes. in the Church of Globalism by none other than one of the high priests himself, Bono. What do you think about that, kind of being an Irishman? Uh, uh, I think that's just incredible. I mean, <laughs> I just don't know, I don't know where to go from there. This is just insane. I mean, th this is t complete madness. Yes. I mean, over the top used to have uh, some weight to that that saying. This is right. just beyond uh, anything like this. Look, the jokes on this are, are out of control. Yeah. On Twitter, you just type in Twitter, Bono and the poem. Uh, here's one. We just picked one uh, here from uh, Matt Owen. Uh, the, the Bono poem, this is the most generous setup ever. Uh, if you can't do anything with that, hand your satire <laughs> badge in on the way out the door. 
that's all we're going to say on this, Mike, because there's really nothing more that you can say uh, on this at all. But so th this brings us to the very important issue, and I know you covered this as well earlier, early on Wednesday, on yeah. Wednesday yeah. early in the week, and we think it deserves a, just a little bit more coverage. In fact, we might keep covering this, uh, especially since Liz Truss uh, announced, uh, called for the jihad mm. uh, a couple of uh, weeks ago. Uh, but so where, where are these foreign fighters coming from? Who's uh, funding this effort? Uh, where do they get their information? Who's sponsoring them? Where's the political backing coming from? Let's take a look at this. Well, here's one of the hubs here uh, where you can go and visit if you're interested. Uh, let's call this the International Legion of Defense of Ukraine. Sounds pretty good, right? Uh, how to join. And that's Ukraine Crisis Media Center there. You can go check that out online. This is a complete free-for-all, by the way, so I'd go look now uh, because you might see some of the content change uh, over time right. as the attitudes and the reality starts to emerge from this. Uh, but, uh, you know, so yeah, it's kind of a good hub here. And this is from the Ukrainian parliament, from, from the Rada, Mike. And I think this is really important, you know, when we're talking about Nazis and Nazism and evoking Nazi themes, they're comparing Notice the images there on the left, Mike. Um, those are all from Germany uh, during the war. And on the right, those are from uh, Ukraine uh, this month. So they're, they're making the comparison between Ukraine and the damage to Nazi Germany. Mm. Um, so th there's a direct comparison there. So they're not choosing France. They're not choosing the Blitz in Britain. They're choosing uh, the, the damage incurred by Germany. Um, so I think there's there's some fealty there, mm. uh, to say the least. That's from the Ukrainian parliament right there. That's one of their official graphics. Okay. okay. Just to uh, drop that in there. So here's here's one of the soldiers of fortune. There's tons of this on Twitter. Uh, you say, I'm now finally part of the Ukrainian Foreign Legion uh, from Finland, reservist, lieutenant uh, to the Ukrainian Army, uh, UA recruit. Uh, people from all over the world have come here to help to defend Ukraine. My bunkmates are Norwegian and American. Uh, there's plenty of room for more. So this is kind of the jovial kind of celebration, Mike, uh, that we're seeing online. Um, and as you know, as you reported uh, earlier in the week, um, it wasn't uh, so jovial, uh, was it, in that NATO training base? Um, no, indeed. Yeah, it was, it was quite grim. Yes. In fact, we'll, we'll show you some uh, testimony from that in a second here. But here's something else. Now, this is one of those graphics that are going out online. Look at this. Westerners awake. Uh, join the International Legion of the Defense of Ukraine. Look at the graphic style. Look at the symbolism. And Westerners awake. So this isn't, this isn't a call for anybody to come join, is it, Mike? It's, it's a call for a certain type of person, yes, right? Yes, indeed. And it does harken back to something like this, Nordmen come and come from the north, join the fight. So this is from the, the SS in yes. Nazi Germany. It's, it's more or less the same uh, type of theme, yes. same type of symbolism, but the intention behind it is the same. Okay, this is what we're trying to point out. And again, we can go even further uh, there as well. So, I mean, there's tons and tons of examples of this that we can do to just show the parallels here. So they're intentionally evoking these kind of ideological, uh, ethno-nationalist, ethnocentric themes uh, in order to recruit people. Uh, we're not even going to show you the Instagram models that are involved in the recruitment as right. well. We might leave that for next week. 
that will be kind of a colorful segment probably uh, for a lot of people. So who's backing this, this mic, this, this hub for, for this effort? Who's funding it? Let's take a look at some of the players here. I see some familiar faces here, Mike. I see some usual suspects. USAID, that's uh, ostensibly a front for the Central Intelligence Agency. Everybody knows their exploits. They're very involved in funding the White Helmets and funding the so-called rebels in Syria and helping the moderate rebels in Syria. Uh, and there, the embassy of Sweden, uh, the United States uh, embassy there, uh, the uh, Temerity Foundation, I'm not sure, uh, there, Finland, and you can see the U.S. Embassy in Kiev. But uh, this is where it gets even more interesting, Mike, and these are the players uh, that I'd like to, uh, you to comment on. I'm, I'm going here, Ukraine World Foundation, National Endowment for Democracy, that's a regime change uh, operation that helped in the violent coup in 2014 where the United States overthrew the democratically elected President Viktor Yanukovych in February of 2014 in right. the Maidan coup. But just a few spaces over from that, Mike, what do you see? I see the Institute for Statecraft and below that and just to the left, Open Information Partnership. So Institute for Statecraft, of course, was the main sponsor of the Integrity Initiative campaign, which was all about countering so-called Russian disinformation, but was really actually a, a British-led propaganda campaign uh, to push Western propaganda into the East, into Eastern Europe and so on. Uh, Integrity Initiative, of course, collapsed. I think we can say that we contributed to that collapse because we exposed uh, the uh, dodgy dealings from their charitable side of things uh, and, and so on and contributed to that collapse. But th that largely morphed into then the Open Information Partnership. Um, and so this the, the key point here, Patrick, I think, is that the Institute for Statecraft has had a patently anti-Russian position for 10 years, at least. It was founded for that reason. For specifically for that reason. And of course, they were sponsoring journalists to pump out anti-Russian narratives, not just abroad, but in the British press as well. Um, for I mean, Edward Lucas, Carol Cadwallader, or people like this, pushing out anti-Russian narratives for many, many years in the British press. Uh, which has contributed undoubtedly to the ability of the British government to push the narrative that they're pushing at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Bill Browder was in that, that list as yes. well. Um, and so we'll go on and uh, the names get even more interesting here. Um, I'm looking at some of these organizations, Mike, and one really jumps out at me. Uh, it's in the lower left-hand corner and they're called Kamonix. Uh, how does that name sound familiar? Wow. Um, isn't that the same contractor, the DC-based contractor uh, that was uh, doing logistics for the white helmets. Um, and isn't that the same ones you can see on the documents that were exposed uh, from East Aleppo in the terrorist bases as well, the ones they shared with the white helmets, Al-Nusra white helmets joint bases, but it's well known. So Kamonix is involved not only in the dirty war in Syria, but here they are again, Mike. How involved are they uh, in this particular. Uh, um, so so what, what are we looking at here, Patrick? Are we looking at the creation of a new jihadist force in effectively in, in Ukraine here, pulling the same kind of gag that the Syrian opposition was pulling in Syria? It is the same gag, but it's kind of like the white ISIS or the sort of the uh, neo-Nazi version of ISIS. They're really playing with fire here uh, when you sort of talk about the uh, very specific ideology 
that is motivating uh, these various brigades and battalions within every Ukrainian army regiment has Azov uh, and Deer battalions. And these are the most extreme, the most ideologically driven. You've discussed this yeah. uh, previously this week. We showed it last week as well. And we'll continue to show it because there's no end uh, to the material on this. It's just over, the case is overwhelming. So why is the media avoiding this Nazi issue? And we're not talking about neo-Nazis. We're not talking about uh, young boys with skinheads and mm. tiki torches. We're talking about actual Nazis wearing the symbols, mm. the SS, the swastikas, uh, pictures of Hitler, uh, quoting uh, Eichmann. Mm. You know, <laughs> so I mean... Imagine if that was somehow on the other side, uh, if this was being done in the UK mm. or if this was being done in Germany. I mean, the outrage or in America, the outrage would just be off the charts. Right. But somehow it's okay because this is being pointed against our enemy, Russia, right? This is, so that, that's why it's okay? Apparently. Amazing. So one of the fighters uh, uh, who went over there from the Georgia uh, uh, militia regiment um, he basically uh, managed to escape um, after the uh, base, the NATO training base, was um, hit by Russian missiles, and uh, many people died. This is a very, very interesting uh, account here. Listen very closely to this gentleman. Oh, sorry. Do you want to talk about this? Uh... Oh, this, this, yeah. Well, here's one here, and so we'll bring this up on screen. Reddit has become the hub for this uh, international brigades. Okay, Reddit. So this, this particular one here, this was from a thread on Reddit. Um, left the Legion, says this particular fighter. Uh, some are staying to help refugees, some going home. But it is clear that going to Kiev with the Legion is nearly a effing death sentence. Uh, a medic died uh, the day after he got to the front. Another guy tried shooting an AK uh, at an APC and was killed immediately. A 10-man team was nearly wiped out, eight killed. Two crawled away. Your body will not be retrieved from the front lines either. I, I've seen this on other posts. You can go to this uh, particular Foreign Legion uh, page, Mike, on Reddit. It's huge. I think it's got about 33,000 members. And one of the complaints is that uh, they're not burying the dead. Yes. Uh, just, just, just as an example. So, I mean, there's, there's a, quite a few of these comments on there. And, uh, well, we'll look at this one testimony. Yeah, so we've got this testimony here. Now, we, we showed this on Extra uh, on Wednesday. Uh, we didn't put it on the main news because it's quite, uh, it was, there were many expletives in it. But we've removed those. And I want to say thank you very much to the person who did this. We had many people volunteered uh, to do that. So thank you very much to the, to the people that helped with that. Um, this guy's name uh, is Henry Hooft, apparently, or Hoft, if I'm pronouncing that properly. Um, but let's just listen to what he had to say. So for any of you who are wondering what is going on, all right, we were part of the Georgian National Legion, the 102nd Ukrainian Territorial Defense, okay? Our base got f***ed up. The base right next to us got f***ed up. Americans, British, tons of British dead, all right? They're not saying nothing. They're counting our dead as their dead. They're trying to send us to Kiev with no f***ing weapons, no kit, no f***ing plates. The people who are lucky enough to get weapons are only getting magazines with like 10 rounds, okay? When they wanted to send us to Kiev, we said no. Our whole group, a bunch of Americans, Canadians, British. So they told us we had to get the f*** out or they were going to shoot us in the back, 
All right. So me, this British guy, and another American, we hid in the back of an ambulance to get out. We we got to the border, and it, it was a whole nother mess. When you get to the border, anyone who has kit, anyone who has any military, they're pulling you out of the line and they're sending you back to the front. This human, we got dropped off about five clicks from the uh, from the border, and we walked. Um, And we get to the border in this humanitarian group with a bunch of ex-SF veterans from England, uh, pull us to the side and say, you need to get, like, pulled us out and, and, like, hit us. And they were like, you need to dump all your kit. They're pulling people out, cutting up passports, sending them back. So we dumped our We got, like, in all of our and we got in, like, Red Cross vests, and they had, like, humanitarian passes to get us through the Ukrainian border. People need to stop coming here. It's a trap, and they're not letting you leave. The best way to leave is like in a Vic or a car or something. People who get on by vehicle have a better chance of hiding their kit in the back, doing whatever the they can, but do not try to leave Ukraine on foot if you're a volunteer. It's a mess, and it's, it, it's a trap. And I have multiple people who can confirm this story for me. I'm getting... So that's, that's pretty clear. So the question then, Patrick, is I wonder what the mainstream response uh, was to that, because that video obviously went viral. Well, let's look at what the Mail has published today on this Boy Meets World. It's a headline, Boy Meets World, Ukraine's foreign fighters ridicule American boogaloo boy who ran away when he realized he'd actually have to fight Russians in Kiev with the kit he was given and complained he'd been lured, lured into a trap. Uh, and they talk about Henry Hoft having joined thousands of uh, foreign fighters in Ukraine to join the war. The 29-year-old is a former U.S. infantryman associated with the Boogaloo Boys. Uh, it's a video this, in a video this week, he said he had, uh, he had fled the fighting uh, in the back of an ambulance. So, first of all, who are the Boogaloo Boys? Well, this is a, a U.S. militia group. Um, it's, it's kind of a, a, a dog whistle for the kind of mainstream media like the Proud Boys. Uh, so everything's the, the Proud Boys, the Boogaloo Boys. Um, so in terms of militia and things like that in the U.S., the, the, the mainstream have kind of had a field day. So they're viewed as a right wing. They're viewed as a right wing, I think a little bit over uh, overemphasized or overrated, let's say, um, especially when it was found out that the head of the Proud Boys uh, turned out to be an FBI informant. Uh, well, and indeed it goes for the Boogaloo Boys as well. So here's uh, the Las Vegas Review Journal, Boogaloo Informant reveals how he helped FBI infiltrate Las Vegas group. We've got another one from The Intercept here. FBI's Hamas sting against Boogaloo Boys was so absurd that even Hamas spoke out against it. And again, they were using informants. So, so you know. So, so, well, that's a conversation we're going to have. The first thing I'm going to say is that these foreign uh, legion volunteers are being used as cannon fodder by the Ukrainian military, clearly from all the posts and the stuff that we've seen and the testimonies we've heard, they're sending them out as cannon fodder, uh, not, not properly equipped, equipped to the front line. These guys are going there, flying to Poland in their kit on the plane, coming off through customs at Poland 
with their full camo and everything mm -hmm. on, even their, their feet pack uh, uh, first aid thing on and whatnot. Right. Okay, they think they're going to go and be doing ambushes and special ops and all this. They have no idea, most of these guys, what they're stepping into. Right. And they're being used basically as frontline cannon fodder. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it's very impressionable for a young person wanting a little bit of adventure, have a crack at the Russians. It all sounds pretty good. And do you think uh, if, if uh, squaddies in the United States and the UK are sort of on the right wing of politics that they would find heading to Ukraine uh, from an ideological standpoint an attractive proposition? 100%, 100%. Some governments have said they're not going to track these fighters uh, that go to Ukraine. If you hear that from your government, you can be 100% sure that they're going to track them. Yes. In fact, they're actively tracking them. It's very easy to do on social media now. Just follow them all on Reddit. Look at their social media posts. They're posting on Instagram. They're on Twitter because they think they're fighting the good fight because the mainstream media, Nancy Pelosi, or the NATO, EU saying this is the good fight. Go and join the, the international brigades. Okay, But the reality is, Mike, when these people come back, um, they're going to be followed, and like we just showed you with the FBI, with all of these other right-wing militia groups, they're going to be using these people. They'll be approaching them to be informants. If they slip up, uh, the FBI will be in there or whoever the security services are in whatever country uh, and try to co-opt them to do various operations in order to tr kind of keep this kind of divide and rule thing going, uh, pitting the right-wing versus Black Lives Matter or versus the sort of SJW left and to, to kind of keep this tension going uh, and get the race wars going. Uh, so, I mean, it's a, it's a recipe for disaster. They're opening Pandora's box because not only this, you have not actual paramilitary Nazis coming back to their various European or Western countries, US or Canada, they have battlefield experience. They're going to ascend uh, to the higher levels of the organization because of their bona fides. Uh, in Ukraine, these groups are already linked up with the Azov battalions even before the fighting started. Mm. The networks have already been established. Even the uh, uh, various mainstream outlets have even previously reported this. Okay, so it, it's even going to be more so now. So it's, it, there's no there's no checks or balances on this. It's like Nazism is okay, mm -hmm. and far right armed Nazi brigades, militias, militants. It's all good because right now. Uh, we want them to beat the Russians. But the blowback could be severe, and this could last for years in the West. Okay, and that brings us then to the wonderful Arnold. Well, speaking of uh, Nazis and Nazi uh, polemics, uh, here's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, he's surfaced, uh, trying to do his part, trying to do his part to uh, uh, get on the side for Ukraine. Hollywood's very involved in this uh, war, Mike. They're, Hollywood's right in the middle of the fight. You wouldn't know it. They're not actually there uh, on the ground fighting, but they're in the fight. Mm. They're right. They're right in there with their influencing people and stuff. Let's listen to what Arnold uh, is trying to frame here. Uh, here's Schwarzenegger. I'm speaking to you today because there are things that are going on in the world that are being kept from you. Terrible things that you should know about.
when my father arrived in Leningrad, he was all pumped up on the lies of his government. And when he left Leningrad, he was broken, physically and mentally. He lived the rest of his life in pain, pain from a broken back, pain from the shrapnel that always reminded him of these terrible years, and pain from the guilt that he felt. To the Russian soldiers listening to this broadcast, you already know much of the truth that I've been speaking. You have seen it with your own eyes. I don't want you to be broken like my father. Right. I mean, this, this gives tone deaf a whole new definition, Mike. So Arnold Schwarzenegger is trying to somehow persuade uh, Russian soldiers that they're the Nazis, okay? Russia defeated the Nazis. If it wasn't for Russia, uh, it's arguably Nazi Germany may have won the Second World War. 80% of all Nazi German casualties during the war were inflicted by Russia. By Soviet Union, by Russia. Um, Russia lost, Soviet Union lost 20 million plus people. 20 million plus. That's orders of magnitude more than any of the allied countries. Maybe even combined. I'm sure, yeah, definitely combined. Um, so to, to be lecturing Russia on the Second World War, Arnold Schwarzenegger, I think, is a little bit um, out of line with reality there. I mean, that's pretty shocking stuff. Yes. So, but uh, the, the, uh, Maria Zakharova, the uh, Russian um, spokesperson from the uh, uh, foreign ministry here, uh, we'll go back actually to uh, the previous slide. Um, Zakharova is saying uh, NATO countries supported growing popularity of nationalism in Ukraine. And she goes back to give some historical context of this, Mike, um, to say that the West has always groomed these groups, even uh, in the aftermath of the Second World War. In other words, Western support for these various Nazi factions never actually ended. Uh, we have some evidence to show you for that, but let's look at her comments first here. And she's saying it was Western Ukrainians who supported the most rabid nationalists in Ukraine itself. Their explosive growth and popularity would hardly have been possible without the support of NATO. Um, that point might be arguable, um, but it's certainly worth uh, investigation. Mm -hmm. Uh, and she goes on to say, for many decades, the West has been using Nazi ideology and supporting the Ukrainian ultra-right uh, in order to create a hotbed of instability in Ukraine with the projection on our country. Now, if you look at the events of the Maidan, Mike, as historical facts shows, that's a, actually a true statement. Right. Um, that's th those are the groups that Victoria Newland, Jeffrey Pyatt, uh, Anthony Blinken, and the others uh, harnessed. They, they made the Maidan happen. They overthrew the government, not the, all these sort of woke uh, Eurovision, LGBT, liberal uh, coalition uh, that was also at the Maidan. Right. That, that's not what overthrew the government. It was the far right. It was the hard right there, the neo-Nazi, the Nazi uh, groups in, in Kiev and Ukraine. Uh, and she goes on to say, most of the collaborators, she's talking here about World War II, uh, moved to Poland and West Germany. Later, some of them moved further west to the United States, uh, to Canada. The, the USA understood that the potential of these people could be used to carry out subversive activities against the Soviet Union and its partners in Eastern Europe. So that might be a debatable point. Some people might argue with that and say, well, is that true? Well, we know about Project Paperclip, but that was kind of on a high level. And we're talking about the uh, 
uh, formation of various units within the Central Intelligence Agency, uh, NASA, U.S. Aerospace. So in these agencies, there was this kind of uh, move to, to migrate all the intelligence and the brain power from Nazi Germany to seed all of those top U.S. agencies. That's historical fact. Right. We know that happened. Werner, Werner Braun, von Braun, just one example of that. But the Galen organization, the Stay Behind organization, that was uh, Hitler's intelligence on the Eastern Front. That was co-opted by U.S. intelligence very soon after the war. That's also historical fact. But let's just take a look at uh, the documentation on this uh, here. This is from Cryptome.org. So this is publicly uh, available here. And what is this? This is a memorandum uh, for the chief. I believe that is the president here. The subject is called uh, Project uh, Aerodynamic uh, is the name of this particular project. This document's dated August 28, 1953. And this is a very interesting read. Again, you can just Google this. Uh, it's online Go to or go to cryptome.org. I think it's probably on the front page uh, right now on that website. Um, but what's interesting is this particular, well, we scroll down here and it, it, this reminds me, Mike, of the documents that we found in Aleppo uh, with the white helmets. And it's got salaries, it's got job descriptions, it's, it's a full uh, program here uh, from the intelligence agencies, including the contractors that were involved in supplying all the various different things, maybe even weapons here. But this was the bit, this section here, I think is the important bit here. Look at this. The purpose of this program, Operation Aerodynamic, which never died, by the way. The purpose of the Project Aerodynamic is to provide for the exploitation and expansion of anti-Soviet Ukrainian resistance movement for Cold War and Hot War purposes. Such groups uh, as the uh, Ukrainian Supreme Council of Liberation uh, and its Ukrainian Insurgency Army, the UPA, and the uh, foreign uh, representation of the Ukrainian Supreme Council of Liberation, etc., in Western Europe, in the U.S., these are the organizations situated in the West that are directing affairs in these uh, through these various government programs. And so that was in the early 1950s. Not much has changed. Not much has changed. So um, again, we encourage people to do your own research mm -hmm. on this. There's a lot of very interesting historical documents that sort of back up. Uh, some of the things that we are, you know, saying that might be of a concern here. Right. Um, so, so let's look at the information war. Back to the information war here, and Ukraine propaganda. So here's the thing, Mike. How much of the mainstream coverage you're seeing in Ukraine is true? How much is fake news? How much is spun? Uh, it it's, it's goes without saying. This is the first war in history where there's only shelling from one side. Right. Did you notice this? Yes. So there's only shelling coming from the Russian side if you're looking at, uh, at uh, Western media, okay? So let's look at one of the uh, stories here. This was the theme yesterday. This was across every single newspaper. Uh, Russia attacks a theater sheltering civilians. This allegedly happened in Mariupol, okay? But it's Ukraine says. Ukraine says. Where's the independent verification of this? Oh, you just picked up on the key words there, Mike. Yeah, it's that little bit at the end of the headline. The Ukraine says. So you have to take the word for the Ukrainian authorities. This reminds me of what? Remember in Syria, you know, this White Helmet spokesperson yes, says, yes. Uh, source from the Syrian opposition says, 
This seems Mike like a rerun of Syria in terms of the way it's being handled and the media campaigns being run. I don't know. I'm just seeing all the parallels. Yes, I'm sure you are uh, as well. So, so it, was there what were there a thousand civilians hiding in the theater when it was shelled by the Russians? How would we know? How how can we confirm that? It's uh, well, if you're talking to uh, Ukrainian uh, uh, sources there, then of course that's. If you're going to take that as gospel, the BBC clearly does, mm -hmm. and all the other mainstream media. That was on the front of every newspaper yes. yesterday. So that was the story that everyone needed to know and needed to feel, the emotion from that story. So that's Mariupol. So the narrative from the mainstream is that Russia is, is, is shelling civilians in Mariupol. Now the Russians are saying, if you, if you watch Russian media, oops, wait a minute, we're not allowed to watch Russian reports uh, because they've all been taken off the air. Oh, isn't that convenient? But what they're saying is they've got multiple humanitarian corridors open for people to exit the city and that the people are, are being denied. Eyewitnesses are, are test, testifying on camera. We'll show you some footage of the exit on the humanitarian corridor. But they're saying they're being kept from leaving by uh, the Azov battalions, the Ukrainian military uh, regiments. Why? Because they want to use them as human shields. Right. Kind of and obvious. Also, to justify generating headlines like this, and even firing on people as they're trying to leave, right. or shelling people in order to keep them from leaving. Now, how how can I say that that I think that that's the case? Because we witnessed that exact thing happen in Syria, in Aleppo. We spoke about this last week right. with Vanessa. So we've already seen the pattern. Russia doesn't shell uh, people in Syria when they're trying to escape. It doesn't, it's not in Russia's interest to attack civilians. Um, it's, it, it, it's going to create more problems than anything. But in the West, they're saying that they think Putin's just out to mow down as many Ukrainian civilians as possible. If that was the case, the casualty levels would be much higher, wouldn't they? Uh, but we'll go on here. So this is from Mariupol. This is actual footage here. Let's watch this of the, uh, the, people getting out of the city uh, from uh, humanitarian corridors that are being administered by the Russian army. Let's look at this. So where's the footage of that appearing on British media? It doesn't. It, it, it's not happening. In terms of Western media, that's not happening. So according to Russian ministry, I think 6,600 uh, people uh, left uh, in those corridors yesterday or in the last couple of days. So apparently they're able to get out now and they're leaving in droves right? Uh, because they don't want to be used as human shields. Uh, and so it's unfortunate what's happening. It is war. It is conflict. Um, but um, what we're saying is, is the media reporting you're getting in the West that's so heavily censored to keep out any, uh, any Russian reporting, is it actually correct? Mm. Let's look at this story. This is an interesting one from the New York Post. Uh, what do we see here? L what does that look like? An apartment block, right? Right. Looks like it's what, what's happened. Has it been attacked by a missile? It looks like a fire to me. But anyway, one dead, 11 injured after Russian shelling strikes building in Kharkiv. Uh, so let's take a look at this. We'll go a little bit closer here. Look, look at this uh, image. So th clearly this is a fire within an apartment. They're saying it's a Russian shelling. We don't know who the shelling was by, but, but look down below. What do you see? 
Uh, well, I see two guys in white helmets. You do, you do. This is a really familiar pattern as well. We saw this in Syria. So three white helmets. Um, I know they're not under the guise of white helmets uh, in terms of that organization in Syria, but it's the same sort of thing. Um, so those are the, obviously that's the fire brigade, the civil defense or whatever. You can see they're, they're rigging up a fire hose there to put out that fire in that apartment. But the, this is all the imagery we're seeing. It's, it's Russian shelling civilians and white helmets in all of the media, especially out of uh, Mariupol uh, here. Now, so in terms of just straight up fake news, uh, we're going to point to this story here. This is in the uh, New York Post. Russian model who trashed Putin on social media found dead in suitcase. This actually came from Fox News. Now, that looks pretty shocking, doesn't it? It's certainly a shocking headline, yes. So what do you infer from a headline like this, that because she criticized Putin on social media? He had her murdered, seems to be the implication of that. That's right. Now, wouldn't it be fair, Mike, to say that most people that would glance at that headline that's on everyone's news feed yesterday would come to the same inference that you just said, yes. right? Pretty safe to say, wouldn't it? And it's probably safe to say that most people wouldn't actually read the article uh, as well, because if they did, they'd find out what actually happened. There, there she is. That's the influencer. Very sad. Uh, she uh, somehow ended up in the suitcase here. It's very grim, very gruesome. But let's take a look at the actual story here. Russian model who called Vladimir Putin a psychopath has been found dead and stuffed inside a suitcase, report says. But oh, wait a minute. Greta Vedler, 23, went missing a year ago uh, after her anti-Putin social media rant but the two events do not appear to be connected. Okay. So what's the point of that headline? Well, I think we know what the point of the headline is. Oh, and this gets even better. Vetter's ex-boyfriend, Dmitry Korovin, 23, is now confessed to strangling her to death. So clearly this is a lover's tiff, some kind of uh, uh, lover scorned story, very tragic, very bad. But Putin obviously doesn't seem to have been involved in this. But we've got to make sure he is dragged into it, kicking and screaming. Yeah, because the inference is Vladimir Putin's a killer. He's a thug. He's a KGB spy. And that's all you really need to know in the West. Now, in terms of absolute um, gold standard propaganda, we're going to point you to this here, uh, La Stampa. Uh, this is, I believe, a, uh, it's an Italian, it's Italian, yes. now, Italian newspaper here. Now look at that image. That looks pretty bad, doesn't it? Looks like horror on the street. And this, I believe, is being portrayed uh, as a uh, Russian uh, attack on the people of Ukraine. Right. Uh, but that's actually a picture from Donetsk, which got hit from a missile this week, uh, which had cluster munitions in it. Uh, so that was, in fact, the Ukrainian military probably that carried that? Uh... Definitely carried it out. Right. Yeah. So that's... So this shows you how our media just twists things and how the mainstream media uh, have total disregard for facts. And they're not going to be pulled up by Ofcom, are they? Are they protected? That, that, that would be protected, you see. But it gets better because this would probably be protected as well. Now, here we go. This is from uh, Good Morning TV. Brits on the front line. Brits on the front line is the caption on the, on the lower third. It says, uh, unconfirmed reports that three Britons were killed in Russian attack in Ukraine, except that this wasn't from Ukraine. This is a 17-year-old picture, I believe from Afghanistan. I could be wrong about that. But anyway, here is one of the people uh, in that picture. 
for those that saw the photo of me on Good Morning TV this morning, I'm not in Ukraine and I'm certainly not dead. But this is what British media is pushing out. Should, should Good Morning TV, that was that ITV or BBC? Yeah, ITV. They should lose their broadcast license if you're using the same standard. There certainly should be an investigation, yes. They're, they're taking RT UK off the air, but this is, this is perfectly fine, this type of fake news, right? It certainly seems to be. Yeah, is, yeah. Are they going to uh, acknowledge this mistake? Are they going to give it the same, uh, the same pr prominence that the original report did? Potentially harmed adult here, uh, Tom Pike. He's... He's been harmed. Well, indeed. Uh, because, what are they, they going to do? Certainly, about it? So, possibly not Tom Pike himself, but perhaps his family have been. Yeah. You know, who knows? Who knows what the circumstances are? So, so uh, you know, everywhere we look, we're seeing there's fake news and propaganda. I, 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 I there's too many examples of it. Yeah. We could probably just do a live stream for ten hours, Mike, and just show all of the fake news and the propaganda and the spin from just from Ukraine in the last three weeks. It's pretty amazing. Yes. Well, look, let's uh, quickly move on. Look, here, here are the lovelies uh, at the NATO Defence Minister's meeting that took place Wednesday afternoon. Uh, ben Wallace, you can see there at the bottom right-hand corner, uh, looking uh, particularly dapper. Uh, and uh, so this was an extraordinary meeting of the Defence Ministers. Of course, they called, it was called by, the, by NATO's Secretary General, Jens Stoltenberg. Uh, and of course, it was called because of what's going on in Ukraine. And so they uh, decided to send uh, even more uh, kinetic uh, armaments and so on to Ukraine, uh, but they're not going to do anything else at this stage. Uh, there's Ben again uh, with another holiday snap. Lloyd uh, Austin, that's the U.S. Uh, that, that is correct, he's yes. He's not wearing a mask, Mike. This is really exciting. Lloyd Austin's ventured out without his mask on. This uh, is great. Yes, so Ben also held bilateral and small group meetings with the United States, France, Germany, Italy, Turkey, Canada, Slovakia, Sweden, and the Czech Republic. Uh, and the U.K. has recently bolstered its military commitments in Eastern Europe, including doubling the number of troops in Estonia, committing HMS Trent and HMS Diamond, if they can actually get out of port, uh, because if they've got engines at work, uh, to the Eastern Mediterranean, and providing air policing over Romania and Poland with RAF fast jets from the UK. Uh, and uh, then the Britain is sending 100 troops, or has sent 100 troops, and Sky Sabre missile defense systems to Poland to protect Poland's airspace from Russian aggression. Oh, I see. Is Russia threatening to invade Poland? Apparently. So uh, Ben Wallace said, it's, ever, it's very right that Britain stands by Poland as Poland carries much of the burden, consequences of war. So there he is uh, with his Polish counterpart uh, yesterday. And uh, don't they look impressive? Indeed. Love the family photos. Okay, well, we're vastly running over time, but let's just uh, briefly talk about uh, interest rates because, uh, well, the Bank of England has increased interest rates to 0.75%. Uh, that's the second interest rise in the last uh, two months. Uh, this was uh, an eight to one vote by the Monetary Policy Committee this time. But look, here's what they said in their press release. The first paragraph, the Bank of England condemns Russia's unprovoked invasion and the suffering inflicted on Ukraine. The bank is working closely with UK government to support its response in coordination with international authorities. The bank's Monetary Policy Committee supports this condemnation and welcomes these actions. So the Bank of England absolutely behind what the British government is doing, sending arms and armaments uh, abroad. Uh, they went on to say this, the Monetary Policy Committee sets monetary policy to meet the 2% inflation target, and in a way that helps to sustain growth and employment. Uh, at its meeting uh, on the 16th of March, the MPC voted for, by a majority of eight to one to increase the bank rate by 0.25% to 0.75%. One member preferred 
to maintain bank rate at 0.5%. So the Bank of England uh, did they took this action. And at about the same time, the Federal Reserve was taking similar action. Um, so here's Jerome Powell. Uh, and what did he say? I want to begin by acknowledging the tremendous hardship the Ukrainian people are suffering as a result of Russian invasion. Now, Patrick, does that seem like a bit of a rapid response mechanism going on there? Because the the, the parallel narratives uh, on both sides of the Atlantic. That's bizarre. When, when have banks become political organizations making such statements? And then now the Bank of England and the U.S. Fed making the exact same, same statement. Right. And he went on to say, uh, we're not going to let high inflation become entrenched. The cost of that would be too high. I think it's too late, Jerome. It's too late for Andrew Bailey as well. Uh, you've been pumping so much bogus cash into the uh, financial system. I, was, I nearly said economy there, but they didn't do that. They only pumped it into the financial system. Uh, and of course, that's what's paying for all this nonsense, Patrick, has been this uh, money printing exercise in the Federal Reserve, by the Federal Reserve and the uh, Bank of England. The damage is already done. It's too late to say that the costs are going to be too high. Uh, there's nothing they can do about the inflation, which is already happening here. And well, we're going to see what one wonderful lady in the United States had to say about inflation and, and the economic situation in a second. But to blame it on anybody other than themselves is a disgrace. Yeah. So how many trillion dollars have they spent on COVID relief in the US? Three? Three and a half? I don't know, something like that. But don't worry, because just before we see this video clip, uh, <laughs> in the next tweet, they were pushing out this information. Uh, what is central bank digital currency? So. Don't worry, the CDBCs, they're going to ride to the rescue when this all uh, Western financial system collapses. And it's not an if, it's a when. Uh, the CDBCs are waiting in the, uh, in, in the background they're just trying to be rolled out. To, they're trying to collapse the system yes. intentionally, it seems like anyway. So, uh, so what's causing the, the inflation, Mike? What's causing the inflation? I think, it's, I think the $3.6 trillion in COVID uh, uh, pork money that, certainly has contributed. That made absolutely zero difference to stopping the virus. Zero difference. 3.6 trillion. Wasted. Wasted. Except unless you got a hold of some of that money, then it was good. Good for you. Right. But the gas prices have gone up. They were going up for months, right? That, yes. Well, and Nancy Pelosi is here. She's back. She's going to correct us on this and tell us why our gas prices are so high. Take it away, Nancy. We have to address the Putin price hike, uh, gas hike. Uh, it has, uh, since he started amassing troops earlier this year, uh, the price at the pump has gone up 75 cents. Uh, we're doing everything we can to minimize the Putin price hike at home. There we go. It's a Putin price hike. It's a Putin price hike. Didn't you know? Putin did it. So, I mean, how the, Biden, and they're all trying to basically pin all of this on, on Putin. It, this war has been the best thing to happen to the Biden White House. It's really rescued them. It's, it's brought his approval rating up from like 35% up to 41%. Mm. This has been absolutely brilliant, but it'll soon careen back down uh, below 40% uh, in just a couple of weeks when the novelty of the war uh, wears off. Uh, so, you know, it's just we just want to remind people we'll put this uh, message up on screen and ladies and gentlemen jeff knows if anything he's telling us here the economy didn't kill itself folks no it didn't happen uh organically it wasn't an act of god 
it was uh, government policy that did that. Yes, indeed. Right, look, we're, we're going to just very briefly mention uh, Nazanin Zagari Ratcliffe, who, of course, was uh, released by the, uh, Iraq, uh, the Iranian government uh, a couple of days ago and arrived back in the UK yesterday. Uh, great for her to be out of prison, but the question is, why was she in prison in the first place? Now, she was uh, found guilty uh, in Iran of sedition, uh, sedi sedi uh, taking part in seditious activities. Uh, she had been working for Thomson Reuters Foundation uh, and previously for BBC Media Action. She was what, training journalists? Well, no, that, like that? well, this is the thing, right? So, so this is uh, Monique Villa, who was the chief operating, still the chief operating officer at Thomson Reuters Foundation, who at the time when she was arrested six years ago said, these charges are linked to her work at BBC Media Action and at the Thomson Reuters Foundation. Um, this is a complete invention and the Thomson Reuters Foundation doesn't work in Iran and has no program or dealings with Iran. That may be true. But the fact of the matter is, well, as we'll show in a second, BBC Media Action absolutely was active in Iran at the time. Now, uh, what are we talking about here? As you say, Patrick, it's about media development programs. So it's about training, uh, training journalists. And in fact, at the time, uh, six years ago, Boris Johnson, when he was foreign secretary, uh, when he was speaking about Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe, saying, said that she was simply teaching people journalism. Um, and of course, as we saw in Syria, uh, and we just need to reinforce this once again, the, the, the mechanism is that you teach journalists in the country of interest based on BBC principles, if it's BBC Media Action, for example. Uh, those journalists taught by the West then become the uh, eyes and ears on the ground that Western journalists go to to get local uh, commentary. That's right. uh, and they never admit that those people that they're speaking to in those countries were trained by the BBC or by Thomson Reuters Foundation. Uh, and and therefore are presenting effectively a Western view of what's going on there. Uh, certainly, uh, so uh, and they're trained. They're trained how to frame stories in the sort of Western mainstream media style. Right. And they're also being paid. They're being paid either directly as a uh, employee, a stringer, or they're given uh, grants through the foundations. Um, and so, with money uh, comes. Uh, you know, a little bit of loyalty, I think. And indeed, and this is never disclosed to the British public or the US public or the EU public whenever these people are put in on the Channel 4 News, in particular Channel 4 News, but BBC as well, uh, to give uh, the truth about what's going on in those countries. So look, let's just briefly put this up on screen because this is uh, Media Landscapes uh, making the point that BBC Media Action was working in Iran uh, in media and communication. And remember, BBC Media Action, this is... Uh, this is about media development. This is a foreign and Commonwealth uh, office uh, supported program along with uh, US equivalents and so on and, and Canada and so on. Um, and so uh, we just wanted to make that point. Glad she's home and all that. But the thing is, this country has been pushing this, these media development programs um, in countries like Iran, like Syria, like Ukraine, uh, in order to foment uh, oppositions in those countries, and we we see the outcomes of this uh, time and again. Identifying the opposition and actively identifying potential opposition isn't that what BBC Media Action was doing in Syria in two thousand? Well, let, well, yes, exactly. Let's just uh, let's just put Juliet Harkin uh, from BBC Media Action on screen. Uh, so we worked as BBC Media Action in two thousand and four with individuals within the Syrian Ministry who wanted change and tried to get them to be drivers of that. So they were acting as change agents, not just media development, but actual change agents here. Uh, all media development work 
uh, that's been done in Syria has, in my opinion, been predicated upon this idea that there can be change with, from within. Uh, you have an authoritarian regime. You find who the reformers are and you work with them. Regime change. Regime change. That's the kind of change she's talking about, right? Yes. Regime change. Right. Um, okay. So uh, finally then, uh, Pretty Patel, well, and Ben Wallace. Uh, almost got targeted. Well, they did get targeted. Uh, they apparently didn't fall for it this time. But Ben Wallace tweeting out uh, yesterday, today an attempt was made by an imposter claiming to be the Ukrainian prime minister to speak to me. He posed several misleading questions. And after becoming suspicious, I terminated the call. I think it's a crying shame uh, that uh, if, if, he, if he got wise to it. But there you go. Wouldn't it be funny if she actually hung up on the actual uh, president or the, the actual, prime, minister actual prime minister of Ukraine. Yeah. It's probably Volin and Lexis. I'm just taking a wild guess. Uh, those two amazing pranksters that managed to get Nikki Haley and uh, all these other people uh, caught up on the line yeah. and then they put it out on YouTube. So, uh, uh, hey, congratulations. The Western uh, politicians are getting wise, getting wise to, to the crank calls after 10 years. Yes. Indeed. So better late than never. Uh, so we'll just leave you with this little message here uh, from our old friend uh, Eric Blair, 1984, was supposed to be a warning, not an instruction manual. Sincerely, George Orwell. Um, that's really where we're going to leave this uh, today, folks. It is. Um, in, in light of the online harms segment we did at the beginning. And again, I, I think you, we probably uh, are understating uh, the, the importance of this. And if you're not if you're not wise to this particular piece of legislation, you saw everybody that came out for kill the bill, yes. and rightfully so. Yes. Uh, this has equal implications, oh. uh, maybe even more so. more so. You're talking about the ability to speak freely uh, going forward in the future. Um, so get interested in it, get informed, and you want to absolutely get, uh, get in the conversation on this with whoever you think you need to be in the conversation with absolutely. on that. Yes, okay, so we've got to leave it there for today. Thank you very much for joining us today, Patrick. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back at the same time, 1 p.m. as usual on Monday. Have a great weekend, and uh, we'll see you then. Bye-bye.